Welcome to Speak Sex. I'm your host, Eve Eurydice. I'm Greek from the island of Lesbos. I'm the writer of uh, three books on female sexuality. I have been a journalist writing the Sex Files column for magazines for years. Um, I'm a multimedia artist working on, yes, female sexuality issues, uh, particularly the dichotomy between our bodies and our minds. Uh, and how to bridge it. My quest is finding ways to live a non-binary sexual life and um, stay sex positive in this culture. So I'm on the side of freedom and individuality and speaking sexual words until you discover which ones express you more truthfully. Uh, because I believe that the way for women to win our genetic advantage back is through sex. We are the sex. Uh, today's guest, Genevieve, um, is a dear friend of mine, but also a colleague in the sense that she has working toward the same goal of freeing and embracing female sexuality rather than limiting it. So she is the founder and CEO of Skirt Club, which is a worldwide um, friendship organization, and she will talk to us about it in a second. Um, she's from London, but she travels the world setting up Skirt Club um, what uh, parties and <laughs> homes. <laughs> private parties. Yeah, private parties. So anyway, um, I would love to find out, Genevieve, welcome. Um, I would love to find out how this came about, you know, the genesis of Skirt Club. And then, of course, you know, you can explain what it is for our audience. With pleasure. Well, good afternoon, Eurydice. Lovely to see you again. Me too. <laughs> um, so, Skirt Club, yep, yeah, I started it five years ago now in London, my hometown. And really, it was a quest to discover my own um, sexuality and, and what constituted my own pleasure. I was confused. I had a rather willful-minded boyfriend at the time who was very encouraging of me discovering my bisexual side, but also very um, demanding of his own sexual needs. So I was struggling to find my own space, my own freedom um, to, to, to do that for, on, on my own and for myself. So um, I think what really struck a chord with me was when I visited <laughs> probably one of the few sex parties I ever went to. Um, and I realized it was a fantastic event, but I realized that the women who were there with their partners were primarily performing for him. For their partners? Yes. I didn't see for them. For their visual pleasure? For his pleasure. Right, right, right. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would see a lot of him picking out a female at the, at the party and her being sent to fetch the the woman and her returning with her and playing with her for his pleasure and I questioned whether she was truly doing that for her own desire mm. and then I questioned women as a whole as a gender mm -hmm. you know how we tend to play for his pleasure generally um, exactly and I wondered why we did that um, I felt it was worth exploring what happened when you removed men from the equation and now we have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like what was happening in the harems for a couple of centuries in the women's quarters, you know, where all the women and the many wives were sequestered among themselves. I mean, that's the whole concept also of, of what Safo was doing because women were not allowed outside in public life, right? They were not allowed to, like, speak and orate, Mm. But they had a private world that men didn't really enter. So within that world, you know, rumor has always been women were exploring sexual, you know, bisexually <laughs> exploring each other's bodies for their own fun. Um, but nothing has been, it, it has never really come out. It's like, you know, the big female secret. So here we are, it's the 21st century and it's on your website. <laughs> so it feels like we're going back in time, <laughs> just to demonstrate the same point all over again. Right. Um, of course, there's nothing new about being a bisexual female. That's that's. I don't think that uh, that has always been the case, right? So now it's just a little bit more uh, normalized, and Skirt Club certainly has contributed to that. In fact, I'd like to think that we led 
on helping women uh, feel, you know, okay with that. Um, and so now you I think talk proud. to your friends, and mm. they said, "Yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'd like to figure that out myself, right?" I assume you had a group. Yeah, there was a group of 10 of us. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I put my hand up to host the party because I like hosting parties. And they brought their friends who brought their friends. And our first event was a small group of, say, 25 women. And, you know, we just drank champagne all night and played games and invited a burlesque performer over. And we had a wild of a time. So we thought we'd do it again. And then there were 50 and then there were 60. And now our parties host around 100 women per event. That's wonderful. Okay, so... When did you decide this can be something that you'll do professionally, that it's worth going you know, further, deeper with it? I think when the um, I was interviewed by many different magazines all at once, so uh, there was Marie Claire, Elle magazine, Cosmo, and um, a couple of newspapers. And what I thought was really just a passion project, um, I, really, I, su- I suddenly saw was becoming a huge demand amongst women. My website crashed under the pressure, um, and so I had to rebuild and regroup and start a team. So originally, this was just a, a fun project. You started the website, you to organize your friends and make party, have parties, host parties at your house or friends' houses. It was at my house, yeah. Right. In London. Yes, in London, in Shoreditch. <laughs> and then there was so much demand... Yeah. Right? uh, Mm -hmm. It was a problem. Um, So we had to figure out a way to make it more regular um, with a ticketing um, application and and a way to create a profile on a website and for for members to meet one another before the party and chat because many were arriving alone. In fact, all of them. And they wanted that comfort in knowing that it was a safe place to attend. Um, They also wanted um, to verify that I was, you know, the person I said I was. So I was meeting women for coffee. Um, a lot of them were nervous. Many doing this for the first time. Um, some with the permission of their boyfriends, some without. You know, some were mothers, some were young students, uh, all different types of women. Um, and, and all desperate to find out about this other side to them and to do it in a way they felt comfortable with. And, and this was a luxurious option. Right, yeah. And when you say find out about this other side, find out physically Mm -hmm. at first of course with women they want to talk about it right so there's a lot of chatting um how did how did you discover when did you discover have you done it before do you know how to approach a woman flirting woman to woman you know (laughs) women find it very easy to flirt with men but you're in a a whole new world when you you try out the same tactics with a woman so it's hard to read um so, so everyone's very nervous um, there's a lot of champagne that gets drunk, and <laughs> <laughs> usually around the stroke of midnight, more action is taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they get comfortable with the idea. They see everyone's in the same boat. Um, they realize the party ends at 3 a.m. and they've got three hours to do something about it, so they make the move. And um, I rarely see anyone not participating, um, but of course that's up to you. And do you have fluff girls? I mean, do you have do you have you know girls who will get naked first and will get this? scene going um not I imagine really. that would help <laughs> <laughs> or it, very eager participants <laughs> i think what we do have are hostesses mm. N- now that is not their role to get naked first not not at all their role is to introduce guests as they arrive to one another so everyone feels comfortable having a conversation and a point of reference to to talk about and that's their role so they're social lubricant um mm-hmm. i don't have party starters but um they're generally our regulars that come to our events who feel more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who know what they are looking for. Yeah. And go for it. And I don't need to encourage anybody. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, I imagine it just takes like the first or second, you know, woman to be out there and then everybody joins in. <laughs> yeah. 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 It just takes one. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, I have countless questions, but one of the, you know, first questions in mind is, do you think that basically everyone or nearly everyone has this curiosity, this within them that's part of heteronormative sexuality to have that bi-curiosity? We have a statistic on our website, which I I took from a BBC documentary a few years back that says 90% of women are curious about other women. That's great. I believe it's true. Me too. Yeah. Within my limited experience, <laughs> yes, it's true. 
I mean, everybody wants to learn a bit about Skirt Club. And I have to say, um, of our membership, um, about 10% identify as zero on the Kinsey scale, which is uh, completely straight. So they are still coming to our events. I, de I, I define that as curious, personally. Um, so if, if, they, if, if they identify as straight and the zero on the Kinsey scale, but secretly there are one, then I think you can make an assumption that most women are identifying that way, but are curious all the same. Right. Yeah, they probably tell themselves, I'm just going to watch. I hear that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Genevieve, do you mind if I come along and just watch? Not at all, darling. We can have champagne in the kitchen. We can, whilst the others play upstairs and you can just listen in. <laughs> yeah, you can watch and, you know, touch yourself. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh -huh. they never make it to the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I feel that, um, you know, p partly thanks to pornography, there is um, a more accepting uh, place in the dominant culture for, you know, bisexuality, female bisexuality. So um, we get... You know, we women have that um, you know permission because it's supposed to be what pleases the male you know viewer and the male sex the male gender um so you know porn is geared for the male mind and particularly for the male gaze and so you know through that <laughs> we get that permission so it's not as forbidding um, you know, and and, it, and there is the assumption, the cultural assumption that you don't really have to choose, that you're not cheating on your boyfriend or husband if you're with another girl because there is no, I think, I think the assumption is because there is no other penis, right? Um, the penis being like the territorial <laughs> phallic <laughs> flag, <laughs> that like I plant on you, <laughs> in you. <laughs> um I don't think they, they, they worry about dildos, right? I mean, you, you guys allow dildos? We, it's not that we don't allow, it's that I just don't see them. Hmm. I don't see strap-ons at our events, maybe once. Um, first, I'm not encouraging because I don't want to increase the risk of STDs. Um, but second, you know, this is very much a first-timer experience, so they're, they're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's all about the clit. Yeah, Yeah. and why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> exactly. That's... You know, it's so much easier uh, for, you know, for the men to reach orgasm. I mean, it really doesn't take much. Two That's, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, women have to learn. So this is partly what you're doing. You know, you're giving them, like, very basic sex ed in a safe space. And then they can, I imagine, take that back to whoever they're with, you know, in, in the heterosexual world and say, oh... You know, I would like this done. And, you know, I want you to, whatever, you know, touch me with your finger or your mouth or however in this way because I just discovered I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, an important, um, you know, social education service. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there are many members who I, I see sort of flee at the hour of 1 a.m. an hour before the party ends because they're hurrying home to their wow. boyfriend or partner who's impatiently waiting and she's hot to go and um, big smile on her face. And it's, yeah, I, I have had one or two thank you letters from partners as well. Also, I emails from husbands asking if they can apply on behalf of their wife. Um, she's spoken about wanting to experiment and this would be his gift to her. Um, there's a few of those as well. That's lovely, yeah. Mm. Well, um, I mean, do you think that England has kind of more of a tradition of this because of public school and, you know, being in like all girl um, education instead of mixed? I don't know it's that. I think mm. London especially is has always been on the cutting edge. You know, we, we tend to go, we tend to pioneer new music and new, new sort of movies, acting, sort of any, anything that's sort of theatre. Um, it doesn't surprise me that this would come out of London. Um, I think it surprised me how much London still leads on our membership. You know, at least 50% of our members are from London still. And we're all over the world. We're in 13 different cities. Yet London still leads. And I, and I thought English people were more reserved, you know, less likely to experiment with sex. 
But now I see London has more underground sex clubs than any other city. Yeah, yeah. No, London and New York have, well, in San Francisco, but that's, we all know about that. Yeah, that's San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the San Francisco scene is more regimented because it's been around for so long. And um, there are a lot of very clearly defined sexual subcultures. And so it's hard to you know, find space for people who will participate in more than one. But yeah, London and New York, I imagine, um, in in the West, um, would have the the most the most interested women, you know, of all types. Um, but I found, I mean, I have found in my own life because I went to an all girls school until I came to America at at fifteen, and the absence of boys made everyone much more bi curious and. You know, girls would come up to me because I—I I was. Everybody realized that I was born on the island of Lesbos, <laughs> and it's <laughs> the reputation precedes you. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, it's a coincidence, really, that there is that uh, special meaning. Um, but immediately, once it was understood, once the word was understood, at whatever age that was in middle school, um. One after the other, my classmates would come to me in private and say, you know, can you show me, (laughs) instruct me, show me the arts of sex? (laughs) Since you were born on the Isle of Lesbos. Yes, because you're a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Thoroughbred. And, you know, I went through a little crisis of thinking, oh, my God, I'm a born pervert, and, you know, the shame. <laughs> but I overcame it because of all these requests. And and, and I found that there was a, a sincere need mm. um, because, there, because there is no education at all. We don't know anything. We all know that it's forbidden and it's not something we talk about and it's just shameful. And that's all we know. So there is no entry. So even that word, lesbos, (laughs) was just like... Exciting. Yeah, it was an exciting (laughs) word in that context. And I didn't really know anything. You know, I didn't have access to any, uh, especially lesbian porn (laughs) at all. (laughs) I knew like Sappho's poetry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would, you know, see like my dad's hidden, uh, you know, Playboy issues or but all I saw was like women with their boobs out or you know naked girls it didn't really tell me anything I had no knowledge but I tried as best I could to make it up um, and meet that demand (laughs) (laughs) and um, and then when I came to America it became definitely something that defined me you know I found that Throughout my years in college, again, you know, bi-curious women would come up to me and whether or not they had boyfriends, ask me to show them <laughs> how it's done, what it is, what it's done. Um, and I, and I, and I couldn't, uh, I, I couldn't really refuse, you know, I, I felt it was, I was moved, com- compelled to um, help so um that probably brought me in this you know lifelong career mm-hmm. of finding all kinds of different ways to bring it out in the open and make it easy and simple and honest and direct and accepted and you know not secret and scary and silent and mm-hmm. repressed so um here we are um which cities do you have chapters, skirt club chapters? In uh, starting, so far? starting with London, we'll go west. Uh, New York, DC, Miami, LA, San Francisco, Sydney, Melbourne, Shanghai, Berlin, Vienna, Ibiza. Mm-hmm. That's very impressive. Yeah, it helps that I grew up traveling a lot as a kid. So I don't see another country being a barrier I just see it as a new place to discover <laughs> I'd love the adventure um, so it's been very easy for me probably more than most to set up in different cities at the same time um, I went to school in Hong Kong as a child I grew up with many friends from different countries 
Um, so I already had those relationships in place. It's so those those were never barriers. But um, more recently, I've been focusing on um, building up our community online, um, and I, th- I think that's where our, our focus for this year and next year will be. Yeah, because you want the average woman to be able to find you immediately and then find a party or an event, even if it's a lecture, something relatively easily. Um, and one of these, or the easiest way w- would be to find it online. Absolutely. And right now people hear about us word of mouth from friends or um, girlfriends um, or husbands. And um, <laughs> all they hear, they hear about us in the press. Um, but but we've, we've never really spent any time trying to market ourselves. And Part of me doesn't want to because I feel like it should be kept an underground community and mm-hmm. I do really want people to come on a referral basis. Um, but in order to grow a community um, you know, of substantial size, uh, today we have 12,000 members. You know, I, I'd love to increase that to 50,000 this year. Um, we do have to have a better online presence. Mm. Yeah. So um, how, how can a woman find you online? She puts in Skirt Club. Oh, it comes up immediately if you put in Skirt Club. If you mm-hmm. know about Skirt Club, mm-hmm. then it's easy to find. But if you don't know about it... And then once you join the website, um, you it, it's a little bit like Facebook, right? It's a bi-curious Facebook experience. You can <laughs> yes. make friends, find your friends. People will friend you. That's right. And right? you can send private messages. Mm-hmm. You can send a flirt request. You can join different cities. You can see what events are on, where, at what time. Buy tickets now or has to be notified later mm-hmm. you can see who's attending an event um yeah it's great yeah. yeah and and um if you are in a city and you see another other women who are also members in the city but there is no event happening at that time you can still message them and say let's get together for coffee and absolutely right? mm. yeah absolutely nice. I, nice. I think it's important not just um the chance to meet someone but the network itself the knowledge that you're not alone in feeling this way is something that I cha- was challenged with when I was younger because I didn't know anybody like me. And it, now I've met 12,000 <laughs> of them. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, uh, 12 million is actually not even a stretch. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it's definitely given me comfort and the chance to discuss it. You know, my friends and family don't want to hear about my sexuality. I don't want to put it on them either. So it's private. And, yeah. my, and my private life should remain that way. Yeah. So I choose to discuss it with people who are in the same boat as me. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important for our listeners to try and look into these things and discover who you are sexually younger rather than later. You know, it seems that um, at least in the generation that preceded us, which is probably the first or second Mm, depending on where you were raised, generation that was even at uh, at all sexually liberated, um, women waited until after they raised their kids and the kids were out of the house and maybe they divorced also. And then they had that brief period <laughs> of figuring out what they like and what types of orgasms they could have and with whom and and uh, take classes, you know, have different partners before, you know, I guess um, lack of interest due to old age, you know, would, would uh, yeah. put an end to it. So um, it is, imp- you know, this skirt club is one of the easiest ways to kind of experiment and discover what else you like without, you know, being out there in some sort of like uh, unsafe environment right like a tender environment where you never really understand who you're talking to exactly Um, all our members are i wouldn't say vetted but verified by me so i know who's in the club yeah um there's one particular demographic that's coming up um a lot at the moment which i'm particularly proud of and it's it's the lady who's recently divorced and the kids have left home grown up um and she's seeking sexual fulfillment for the first time can you imagine it's, these women have also become my friends. I spend a lot of time talking to them just to understand, you know, how they've got to 48 and never slept with more than one man. <laughs> I, I can In this even, day and age, yeah. I couldn't imagine my life being that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a kid in a candy store. You know, suddenly this whole world has just opened up to them and they don't know where to start. 
mm-hmm. and it's it's almost too much. And they're also with the hangover of their childhood, which tells them never make a man wait, never give your virginity away to anyone unless they're going to marry you first, um, never sleep around, you'll be called a slut. So they, they come with all these hang-ups and they're terrified, you know, they're, they're giving me false names so that they protect their identity. <laughs> And I'm, I'm trying to reassure them that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, d- don't worry about it. Just be yourself. It's okay. No one else is as hung up. Um, but they are they're really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Really struggling. And it's such a pleasure to watch them let go and discover for the first time. Yes, how to come. <laughs> or <laughs> m- new ways of coming. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm also. I, I have to say, I have had the same experience with with this podcast, and I haven't even done it for that long. But one of the most shocking realizations has been on the podcast um, to find out how repressed, sexually repressed, contemporary women still are. Um, it it's surprising that so many are. Um, I thought that we're in our in the third wave of feminism right now. So there were the feminists who were active before I was born, I think, in the 60s and 70s. That that, that was the first wave of feminism in America. You know, then they, they, during the Vietnam War, that whole era. And we're not even going back to the suffragettes. We're just talking specifically about sexual liberation, you know, burning the bras, uh, the personal is political, you know, nakedness is beautiful, that whole thing. Um, you know, equal pay, etc. Um, then there was the second wave of feminism, um, which is what I caught the back end of when I first came to America when I was really young. And um, it was, we, we they called it post-feminism. So I remember identifying <laughs> in the you know, East Village and West Village as a post-feminist. And I was, you know, a baby. It was like the 90s, 80s and end of 80s and 90s. Um, so we thought that feminism had already accomplished <laughs> its goals. <laughs> um, and now it was okay to, you know, be with men again and we didn't have to hate men, blame men, all that stuff because we'd gotten our, you know, sex lib experience and we could sleep with anyone we wanted and we had the pill and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, and I think then a combination of, of 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 changes happened the first one was AIDS um, which kind of like split everybody up you know because men had to choose whether, whether they were straight or gay and by default women did too so I had a lot of friends back then who uh, identified as lesbian but were straight you know they they slept with guys as well as women but they identified as lesbians mostly for political reasons like mm. i feel i'm a lesbian i present myself to the world as a lesbian i have a girlfriend but i'm really sleeping 90 percent of the time with guys you know boy toys or or you know younger men or what mm-hmm. all of that suddenly ended if you were a lesbian, you had to be with women. And if you were gay, you had to be with men because people were dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that, and, you know, brought up like a new fear of sex. You know, condoms, suddenly people found out about condoms again, which I had never seen one <laughs> until the late, <laughs> the end. <laughs> people were dying before I saw one. I didn't know what you did with it. <laughs> uh I remember the first time I, I saw one, I was with um, a friend of mine who was mostly gay. So he wanted to try sex with a woman. I was like, well, you have to wear the condom. <laughs> so he went and bought one. <laughs> with, he didn't know how to put it on. I didn't know how to, what to do with, it, with the thing. And I guess we must have placed it wrongly and it rolled out immediately and he had a seat through the dog ate the condom we had to oh stop <laughs> and run the dog to the vet worried <laughs> the dog would be poisoned <laughs> um you know this is this is so far from today's reality because i feel that because of that shift with aids and say no to mm-hmm. all that stuff as well as say no to a li- that lifestyle um, led us to this new generation that is 
very um, traditional once again. And then this third wave of feminists who um, I feel that are much more focused in um, consent, uh, you know, f describing sexual harassment, sexual assault, especially in the workforce, um, kind of putting an end to all of that, you know, to the objectification of the woman outside the sexual context, but they're not so um, focused in liberating female sexuality, per se. Um, and I have found that both the young girls, meaning teenagers who I speak to on the podcast or in private, and their mothers are surprisingly repressed and ill-informed about all the possibilities that the you know female body and the female you know genital body um, has access to and you know how how long and and diverse their pleasure can be mm. so it's just needed to you know to kind of like push with this um, educational <laughs> <laughs> um, sexual as well as social, you know, education for women, and and make sure that they don't wait until, you know, they're done with their child rearing and the husbands, and you know, to to find out and experiment and ask questions. Yeah, that's they certainly can changing just now. Google skirt skirt club <laughs> right now and <laughs> ask the questions. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I think with today's women, of course, they're, they're not waiting and um, they're not hesitating in the slightest. Uh, attitudes with Gen Z are completely different to mine. And any ones that I know, they are way more liberal. Um, they they think being straight is boring. And they, they are up and down that fluidity spectrum like there's no tomorrow. There's, they just don't mind. I mean, they, they'll walk into my event on, on an Instagram story announcing it to the world. Even even though we ban cameras and phones, um, because they they have nothing to hide. Right. It's, yeah. It's very. It's quite refreshing to mm -hmm. watch this. I mean, personally, I don't like putting my my myself out there as much as as they do. But um, I like that nothing holds them back, and they're not afraid. In fact, they're fearless, which can also have consequences. But yeah. Um, I mean, I think I don't know. I, you know, I I know my. My daughter's um, generation and group, and I think they are younger than Z. Gen Z. I don't know where Gen Z ends. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but I know that they are very controlling of their image, um, and they're very um, judgmental, morally, you know, judgmental. So. Before them, just before them, there was a, a, a movement for, you know, polyamory and um, gender fluidity. But I think that that is still um, in the margins. From, mm. from what I'm meeting, that that's still the margin and the vast majority are, are you know, coupling in traditional ways. Um, and they have like two Instagram accounts, for example. So the private one, yes, everything goes. <laughs> but then the public one is curated. Mm. Um, Very and polished, no doubt. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 20 filters. So <laughs> there's nothing to do with <laughs> what they actually look like. It's <laughs> <laughs> the image of what they want to look like. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, but I, f I, th I think that they, what you are offering is the experience. So the fact that you're not allowing cell phones, that you're not allowing photos, I think is wonderful and refreshing, you know, in this extremely digitalized mm. world where we can't put our phones down. We don't know who we are without without our phones. Um, I think it's very healthy to be able to put your phone down, at least in order to experience your body and give your body time to find itself as it is in the world of nature. Mm -hmm. um, and that is um, a way to find inner balance, you know, spiritual and psychic balance, not, not just the sexual experience, but also the time 
that you allow yourself away from media, you know, social media, um, the web, uh, what, th- th- that whole screen life, you know, screen time, um, which is, you know, a little bit of a brain rot too when it's done to such excess, right? So we need physical time, mm. you know, the same way that we need, like, meditation or yoga or, like, a walk on the beach. We need, you know, time to uh, explore sexually with women, with um, new friends, with whoever we can, whoever we can give ourselves permission to. And the skirt club seems to me to be the easiest to, you know, find social permission for. It's interesting you use the word permission because... I find myself quite frequently saying to not just my team, but some of my guests, you know, if, if, if all you need to hear from me is you have the permission to play, then I give it to you, but you don't need to hear it from me. And that seems to do the trick half the time. Just keep saying, stop asking for permission. It's really, it's, it's yours to give. I don't know what you're waiting for. Mm. You're waiting for someone else. Like you, <laughs> to <laughs> to give open the them gates. that permission. Yeah. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. come on, come on in. You know the gates are open, and um, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel so. Something I love about this job, um, and I've I've had this my thirteenth career, I think. But um, <laughs> this in this job anyway. Um, what I love most is Monday mornings when I I get these lovely emails from guests um, who've attended an event over the weekend, and they'll read to the words of. Oh my God, I've changed. This has changed my life. I feel so differently about myself. I feel more confident. I'm not hesitating anymore about what I want from life. I've met women who inspire me. I now know who I truly am. Um, and that sense of freedom that comes from just liberating yourself to, to do as you please and asking your body what it wants um, and not being told um, or trying to fit in with society when you don't. Um, exactly yeah and in fact you do fit in it's just that we don't have the words for it or at least out in the public realm you know we don't have the words for it yeah that's why we speak sex here and that's why (laughs) you know i encourage everyone to put it in words no matter how frightening or you know difficult it may be in public with friends you know with women men uh, n- not just the lovers not just the potential lovers but also including the potential lovers to say what you like say what you want say what you would like you mm. know and um just by i think saying it uh, it it becomes easier to then you know take the next step and experience it yeah cuz you realize it's not that you know, frightening at all not really right um, I just finished reading this great book um, called Telling You What You Really Want um, by Justin Lehman. And it talks about um, having fantasies and then putting them into practice and mm-hmm. how sometimes exactly. some ideas are just best left as fantasy. But you you will never have a fulfilling relationship unless you can discuss it. Exactly. So yeah. having secrets or pent-up desires will only lead to problems later down the line. And if you're concerned that your husband or boyfriend won't ever understand that's the fact that you're interested in women and you want to experiment with that idea, then he's probably not the right partner for you. Exactly, yeah. The sooner you mm-hmm. realize that, the better, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that many many of us can actually educate our partners and, you know, help them evolve as we evolve. And, you know, we never, like, even this idea that, like, you know, find out who you truly are, it really means find out who you truly are at this point precise moment in your life you know then a month from now or a year from now you may want something different sexually you may switch and be a bottom or be a top or you know want to experiment with um you know some other sexual practice and you have permission to do that too it's just you know allowing yourself um uh the the fluency and the the facility to become, you know, sexually alive and sexually active and not worry about how things, you know, look or what they mean because mm. they don't really mean anything. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no need to read so much into it. Um, women have a tendency to overthink. Right. Um, stop thinking. Yeah. 
just go with the flow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and don't over overanalyze it in the morning either. You right, know, it, exactly. It, it doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's just fun. It's a way to get out of yourself. It's a way. I mean, for me personally, and um, I, uh, I think that that's a, you know useful way to think about sex is that for me. Sex is the liberation from the self, you know, from mm. the boundaries of the self that otherwise I'm stuck with in order to function in society. So during sex and during orgasm, we're not who we are as our brother knows us or our mom knows us or our kid knows us or our boss knows us or whatever. You know, all of that, all, all of those constructs that we have to take on in order to be understand, understood by others and in order to fit in and get homogenized, all of those fucking constructs, we can let go. We just, you know, get out of that self that limits us. And it limits us by necessity so we can fit into something that can be understood by whoever is around us, whoever we coexist with. But in the moment of orgasm, we're not that. You know, we're something so much greater something that cannot be named, like this greater, you know, consciousness, right? Um, and it's brief, but female orgasm lasts much longer than male orgasm. So even though it's brief, it's actually long enough. Mm. And at that moment, you're not you. You know, you're something just so much bigger and more alive. It's wild. I think my, yeah. my orgasm this morning was three minutes. I yeah. timed it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. That's a new record. <laughs> but it's a great that's way to start a long the day. time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That is a great way to start the day. Yeah. It's euphoric. And I, I don't know why you'd want to live your life without one of those every day. It's, um, exactly. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, you know, like physically cleansing, you detox, you know, you kind of like reset, you push that reset button and, you know, you're young again, new again, mm. right? Yeah. For me, especially, it relaxes my mind and I, mm -hmm. I, te I tend to think too hard, um, guilty, but um, it's a great way for me to get out of my head um, and then I can think more clearly. Yeah, I agree. And again, you know, in I mean, I really would like in the ideal world to stay away from uh, gender binary um, distinctions, but I feel that the way society is set up, the way we think is more male because the words have, are male, they've been made up by men to kind of you know support this system within which we function, which is Well, they develop the system. Patriarchy, so, yeah. right. That's <laughs> kind of how it happened. Right. Uh, so especially for us women, but for men too, who are way too masculine and need to find, you know, their feminine side and that happy, you know, sexy side for men and women. The time of orgasm is the female time. Mm -hmm. You're not in your like male thinking, word, uh, calculating numbers, head, you know, judging, but all of that. No, you're like deep in the body. That's what we women are we you know we generate life we have this magic ability to take the pleasure and make it into new life you know and that miracle happens in that space of like female and again female identified joy yeah it's beautiful um coming back to to men their mass the more the more masculine type versus the more feminine type Obviously, it's a huge spectrum. Um, and my, in my in my previous skirt club life, um, I was working in the financial industry, so I was surrounded by men continuously, of course, of the sort of alpha male type. And you know, it was it was very hashtag me too. So I was surrounded by that. And probably <laughs> one of the reasons that I was propelled into this business to get away and find the antidote. Um, Interesting. It, it, I did not enjoy it. Um, it, it, it was one of those situations where no matter where I was in the office, there was some kind of remark about either make the tea or, you know, I'd, I'd get my bottom smacked in the kitchen or, and it, if it, now you'd wonder why I would put up with that. But the reality is in those days, it was kind of normal. Yeah, it was, and, yes. And you yes. just don't really. You had to go along with it. 
you didn't have an option. But when you're one of two women in the office, what option do you really have? Mm-hmm. Um, and you want to keep that job, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you don't really say much about it, and it's n- it's not really physically hurting you. Um, so you don't think it's a problem uh, until you get out of that industry. Uh, for me, especially, and now of course I work in the polar opposite um, of, of that environment, and I'm surrounded only by women. And the men that I've picked to be in my life are of the feminine sort. So they are completely in touch with their emotions. And it's it's just so, um, me as a person, I, I feel way more myself, um, relaxed, happy to express, uh, not hesitate about what, what I'm about to say next for fear of criticism. Um, and I have flourished entirely. And it's, it's due to the people around me. Uh, I think I've found my environment to thrive. So... Um, as as much as I started this, I started Skirt Club really in, in some way because I was so upset with the current situation, the patriarchy and the patriotism I was experiencing. Um, I now I also recognize that men can help you um, become your true self, as as I have experienced. So there's a lot of work to be done when it comes <laughs> to re-educating men and their opinions of women. Um, if I can help towards that, and I and I'm, I'm by building stronger women, I think I can. Um, then that will be probably my life mission. Yeah, uh, and that's a noble one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I think that I mean when I put myself in the place of a man, and especially a young man initiating sex, having not really done it enough before, you know, our assumption that just because they have the pennies that gets erect. They should know what to do, and 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 women can just lie back and and be pleased. Is insane. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, I think I'm I'm you know mortified on behalf of of the men who have to kind of like do all that work without any knowledge. Mm. I, I mean, they don't know much about the female anatomy. They don't know much about the vagina and how it works and how it functions. No one is showing doing like show and tell. <laughs> right. And the pressure's on. And I, I actually, when I was growing up, I remember feeling sorry for men because all that pressure was on their shoulders to, to you know, earn the wage, take care of the family financially, be the man. You know, I'd, I actually wouldn't like to be in that position. Um, as women, we're given that space at least to breathe. Now, of course, there are consequences. You're then expected oh, yeah. <laughs> to, to take his lead. But... Luckily, we live in a time where times are changing, so it's not that case for us now. But I think back to my parents. My mother was never given that choice uh, or that freedom to choose. So that's it was just tough luck. And if you were a strong-minded female in those days, you were not going to have a happy life. Yeah, yeah, my mom too. She only knew one man. That's it. And he had he called it the veto power. He, he was like, "Our family is a democracy, but someone has to have the veto power, and it's me." Oh. And it's like, <laughs> So why do we all vote? We would have like a family council and we would take a vote and then he would use his veto power. That is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, okay, Greeks Greeks and democracy. Right, right. Sounds like a lot of governments are, are in the news at the moment. Um, but but on on the other side of the coin, and every coin, you know, every coin has the, has the other side, we women tend to associate sex, sexual pleasure with monetary pleasure. And and this whole concept of provider sex is so deeply ingrained in us. Um, so, which is why, you know, Skirt Club makes sense right now because you can still experience your provider sexual relationship and have your experimental, you know, sexual ex- life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're, we are right now in a st- in, a, in a stage where we're still holding on to this idea that you know the man's gonna take care of us <laughs> sexually, financially, right. safety net, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll play around, but within you know what it's okay, it's okay with him, um, so long as he pays the bills. So a future step would be to kind of revisit that whole concept. You know. Mm. Um, we're in transition right now, so right. it's not the lines are not clear. Um, no, we're sort of trying to get away from a traditional marriage, man meets woman sort of relationship, to uh, one where it's completely equal. 
yet she still has to raise children and she's she's still reliant on him to bring home the cash to support them so it's 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 very hard to figure that i mean i I believe within 20 years this will all be straightened out um we're just in that period right now where we're trying to find our way um right yeah no it's very complicated right now um but so long as he gets to you know name the children and name the wife (laughs) he tries to support them you know so my understanding of it right now is that if we could simply um, separate relationships from mothering and fathering that would be a good you know beginner step so we could be ideally equal sexual partners with our boyfriends and girlfriends but once we decide to procreate if we want to do it in the traditional way then yes you know the man will support the woman while she has the babies and raises them and works and you know chips in but she has so much extra labor that then he's being the provider still makes sense in that Mm. setup Um, but until then it would be nice if you know women don't feel bound to um, please their boyfriends just because they happen to be the ones with it with a penis Mm. um you know if there is no if they don't think that the relationship is going to lead to uh you know having babies i think they should revisit how much compromise they're willing to make sexually you know and and take the lead more Mm. and say this is you know this is what i want to do this is what i want to try out um and you know, skirt club is an example of it, and then eventually, you know, they could take the man, their their partner, and experiment um, further. You know, introduce yeah. what they know. Uh, the women I'm seeing today, the, the younger they get, the more they are not seeking out a relationship. They're seeking out pleasure, and that alone. They are married or in love with themselves. That is their first priority. Yeah, uh, I even have a member of my team who's getting married in, uh, next month to herself. She's set to <laughs> for her wedding. Wow. <laughs> wow. Guests are invited. Um, I don't know. There's a gift list. But um, she's, yeah, I thought that was quite inspiring. And why not, actually? You know, if, if, you, if you've not met Mr. Wright, the person you want to, to be with forever as your soulmate, um, and I have, so I know how that feels, why would you waste your time on anyone committing or to them and, and not and sacrificing experiences that would actually enhance you as a as a human being in both character and personality. I, I, th- I think it's a waste of life. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I support that. And I think that um, women are actually going through that stage right now, perhaps for the first time in history, in written history, where they're experiencing sex as separate from love mm. and it, it is revolutionary if for us but not a new concept to men i mean my god there's been prostitution right. since day one it's the oldest industry in existence men have long used prostitutes for sexual like relief yeah. and have a wife at home very common yeah now suddenly women are enjoying sex outside of their marriage and everyone's right. up in arms yeah or embracing it for the first time yeah well, I think it's in- incumbent upon us women as the sex gender, which we are, because mm-hmm. we give birth, we are the sex gender. So as the sex gender, I think it's incumbent upon us to demonetize sex. So, mm. you know, not pay the boys <laughs> to have sex with them, which kind of like continues this transactional sex life, which I don't think is healthy. But yeah, uh, separate as uh, so many... N- now have begun to do separate sex and sexual intimacy within the sexual scene from love, from romantic love, which is one of the ways patriarchy has of controlling women, Mm -hmm. you know, because in romance you give up everything for the love and the love will save and the love will heal and the love will change everybody not true so if we take that whole like disneyfied version of romantic love that started from the romance era with the knights and the damsels in distress and all that and continues until now if we take that out of the sexual arena um and are able to find a sex life 
that yes, you know, it has, of course, it has emotional wealth within the sexual scene. So when you're intimate with a sexual partner and you find pleasure and orgasm together at that time, you feel love, you know, you feel affection, you feel intimacy, you, you know, it's a very warm and emotional experience, but it's not a lifelong commitment, it's, right? It's mm. not like that romance as it's described in all those books of eternal yeah. promises. <laughs> you can blame Disney for blowing <laughs> up that idea. And Harley Quinn and I don't know, there is a lot of, you know, big money being made. Out of fantasy. <laughs> Out yeah. of romantic fantasy. Yeah. Which is such a shame because those ideals are instilled in young minds and if they don't fulfill them, they feel that they lost out on something which might not have ever really existed. Yes, and as you said, we, you know, women waste years, decades, often right. the best decades of their lives when they're still young and beautiful and energ energetic, mm. trying to get those romantic ideals to work. Right. They put so much time and work into it. So much. And, you know, <laughs> they get betrayed because, um, you know, it's just you cannot own and possess and control another human being you just can't uh, you know unle unless right. you think of them as your slave <laughs> right you can't you, you're best putting that energy into yourself yeah you know making yourself exactly. happy and giving yourself the best life exactly and, uh, your number one goal should not being should not be meeting a partner exactly and should not look for happiness salvation you know understanding in that other in the mm. other but in yourself. And, right. you know, if there's a partner who joins you in this journey, that's wonderful. He's along for the ride. Yeah. But it's your ride. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I think we could conclude today's episode <laughs> with this. I love that. I love that uh, ending. Thank you for listening to another episode of Speak Sex. I'm Eve Eurydice. And uh, I'll talk to you next Friday. Love and kisses. Thank you, Genevieve. Merci. <laughs>